Welcome in to the latest episode of that SEC podcast. I'm your host, Michael Braddon. I go by SEC Mike on Twitter. And hey, no Shane on this episode. Giving Shane the day off. My man's working eight consecutive days at the day job, so give him a little break. But don't worry, we're going to be joined once again by my buddy Stephen Lassen, Athlon Sports, to talk about every single SEC matchup this week, provide some insight on some of these non-conference games, and we're going to do a deep dive on Kentucky, Florida, and Arkansas, South Carolina. So we'll get to that in just a minute, but man, how about those Tigers? We Again, we recorded early on Sunday, so we missed uh, what happened in that game, and I'm kind of glad that we did. Shane was beside himself for Brian Kelly costing the SEC a perfect opening weekend. And, you know, <laughs> it's always wise to not overreact, not sitting here saying Brian Kelly needs to be fired, even though that's a popular take. Billy Napier's down there kicking ass at Florida. What could have been? LSU's going to be fine. Jane Daniels, while not that effective as a passer in the ball game, I mean, he was the offense for the Tigers. That offensive line was abysmal. So many mistakes in that game. They were fortunate to really even be in it. I thought Florida State, of course, made the big gaff on the goal line there. They were should have kneeled, kneeled it out here, and they're pitching the ball, losing it. They made mistakes in the first half that cost them points. Stupid play calling, in my opinion, from old Mike Norvell, the Florida State coach. So just a rough, rough debut. But LSU will bounce back this week against Southern. The real game to watch will be coming up here as they host Mississippi State in the first conference game for both of those teams here in a couple weeks. But as I always do, once we finally have every single SEC game played, put out my debut power rankings for this season, and man, people are heated. So if you're new this year, weren't following us, what I like to do, I put these out Saturday night as soon as all the games are done. And when the feedback just rolls on in here, an avalanche of comments and hatred and despite I'm losing followers over this thing, but I don't care. It's a good time. It's all in good fun. And what I like to do is hop on here and have a full, a much more in-depth conversation of why I've got these 14 teams where I have them. And I'm going to do it now because of the LSU game. But the, the rest of the season, we're going to be doing these Saturday night putting them out Sunday. So without further ado, debut SEC power rankings now that we actually have a data point on each and every team. And as always, I I have to stress this. People, this confuses the hell out of people. This is 2022 power rankings. I don't give a damn where Athlon or Feel Still or AP poll or Coaches poll has got someone ranked. These are my rankings. These are a subjective rankings. Team A, Team B meets on a neutral field. Who do I have winning the ball game? That's how I do these. That's the only method I use. So without further ado, let's get into the SEC Power Rankings. Number 14. Starting here, Vanderbilt. People, So many people. What the hell? Vanderbilt's 2-0. You got to put them number one. These are not standings. These are power rankings. I know LSU. They lost a game. I get it. But you put LSU and Vanderbilt on a neutral field right now. I'm taking LSU 10 out of 10. Nice story there for Vanderbilt. I hope it continues this week and they beat the hell out of Wake Forest. This is the biggest game of the Clark Lee era. SEC Nation will be in Nashville. Mike Wright, a revelation. Most improved player in the SEC. Maybe the country. Give them all their due. But the defense is atrocious. The passing game. Has got some major, major flaws. Still a total rebuild there in Vanderbilt. It remains to be seen whether Vanderbilt will win a conference game until further notice, until we get into SEC play, and even until we see him against Wake Forest, I have to keep him number 14 and st- until we see a little bit more signs of life. Elon just had their way with Vanderbilt defense. Elon was the looked like the deeper team in the second half. That's a that's a nightmare. That should never happen in the SEC. And in Hawaii, uh, they're a joke. 53 new players. Remember, all these people jumping on the Vanderbilt bandwagon were picking Hawaii to win the football game. <laughs> Remember that. I, we picked Vanderbilt on this show, and they took care of business. Number 13. You got to put LSU, I think, here. Dead, 
dead last among the uh, rest of the SEC. Just rough, 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 and terrible news here. Mason Smith, outstanding defense alignment out for the season. Kayshawn Butte, Malik Neighbors scrubbing their timelines and social medias and all this of the LSU. Uh, apparently there's nothing to that according to uh, Brody Miller of The Athletic. This is just them trying to get locked in. I don't know what the hell that means, but they caused a distraction immediately after the game. Probably should have just, hey, just delete all that shit if you're going to do, if you're going to pull these things. But, hey, it is what it is. LSU has got to get better basically all across on offense. Couldn't get this passing game going. Couldn't get much generating on the ground aside from Jaden Daniels. The defense, you know, it's kind of hit or miss. I thought uh, Florida State was really having a lot of success against this uh, Madhouse defense. Didn't like what I saw. Brian Kelly, his comments after the game left a lot to be desired as well. It seemed like he was calling out his players, which was something to see. But, uh, yeah, LSU won't learn a lot about them against Southern this week. But, again, going to Mississippi State, that's when we'll start to figure out a little bit more about the Tigers. Number 12. 12, Auburn. And you may say, well, hell, they beat the hell out of Mercer. Well, it's Mercer. Uh, I You'll see we got more coming up here in a minute. I don't read much of anything into FCS matchups. I don't know how in the hell you can. You go out here and you, you whack San Jose State, I'll give you a little bit more credit. But T.J. Finley, multiple turnovers. Robbie Ashford was a spark for the Auburn Tigers. The running game was elite, as it should be against Mercer. Again, just not a whole lot to say about Auburn at this point in time. A data point against an FCS opponent, I just don't take that much into consideration. The Missouri Tigers, and maybe you can even argue a little should be a little bit higher. They they thrashed Louisiana Tech. They had a lot of haters. Popular pick there, Louisiana Tech against the spread. Missouri made quick work of Louisiana Tech. We get something out of Brady Cook. He starts to hit more passes downfield, a little bit more consistent. Missouri could be rising up this list. I, I loved what I saw from the Missouri defense. Aside from a couple explosive plays they gave up to Louisiana Tech, Luther Burden, the more comfortable he gets in the offense, the bigger star he's going to be. The ground game just torched Louisiana Tech. So Missouri at Kansas State is going to be one of the more intriguing games this weekend, and we're going to be breaking it down here with Stephen Lassen in just a moment. Number 10. Now here's the shocker. Oh, my God. People, again, thinking I'm a hating A&M, but again, what did I say? FCS opponent. You played Sam Houston, 31-0, win, I get it. The score was 10-0 until Anaya Smith with that explosive play right before halftime. I mean, this was a ball game with Sam Houston. And Haynes King still, I'm still not buying. There's all this hype with Haynes King. He's not played a ton. So we're not saying he can't play football, but I'm still scratching my head trying to figure out where all this Haynes King hype is coming from. Uh, maybe he'll get better. But he, it's got to happen in, in a hurry here. They may be in a ball game here with Appalachian State. They shouldn't be. They should beat the hell out of Appalachian State. So, again, this is not preseason rankings. This is what have you done on the field this season. You, you know, it was a, almost a toss-up here in the first half against Sam Houston, who I got no respect for. Texas A&M, probably the most damning thing of the entire weekend, in my opinion, was their inability to run the ball on Sam Houston for much of this ball game. And I realized they were down a couple – Lyman, I don't give a damn. That's not an excuse. Sam Houston you're playing here. Your third string should be able to generate push on Sam Houston. So Texas A&M, you got a long way to go, and you win big this week, and particularly two weeks from now, you beat the hell out of Miami like you should at home in College Station. You'll fly up this list. Number nine. Now, South Carolina, I get some people were calling it out here, but there was a lot to like about Georgia State. Entering that matchup is something we cautioned you all last week about. And they gave South Carolina a ball game until South Carolina's special team scored multiple touchdowns. And uh, <laughs> the offense came a little bit alive there. But huge, huge, huge red flags with this offensive line, in my opinion. Spencer Rattler was running for his life. Uh, but we had some receivers emerge. We had Marshawn Lloyd, I thought, lived up to the hype. And I thought even Spencer Rattler looked good. I know he had two interceptions, one hit his damn receiver in the hands, maybe a little bit high on the throw, but you got to come up with that. This is 
you got a scholarship for a reason, I believe. So Spencer Rattler, I thought he looked pretty good. But again, how can you evaluate him when he's running for his life against Georgia State? We're going to learn a lot about this South Carolina team this weekend as they travel to Arkansas. Kentucky Wildcats, uh, you could even argue they deserve to be a little bit higher here. Uh, made quick work of Miami in the second half, but it was a ball game in the first half. Miami came out and, you know, held their own for a good portion. Will Levis was sharp in the second half. Couldn't generate much on the ground, though, overall. Running backs banged up. Offensive line not getting a ton of push. Will Levis got sacked four times. I thought the defense looked pretty good. I thought Miami would have a little bit more success against Kentucky, but overall a solid performance. And once uh, Brown had the kickoff return and the, to open the second half, this was this ball game was essentially over. And they just leaned on Miami late in the game. Uh, credit uh, this offense, which has done a 180 in basically uh, two years' time, went from Lim Bowden rushing every play. Wildcat were forced to do it. Terry Wilson, he was about – as good of a passer as Lynn Bowden, to now you got Will Levis, who they keep hyping up as uh, one of the best in the country. And we'll find out for sure if that's the case this weekend in Gainesville. Number seven. Number seven. Oh, t- man, Tennessee is out. They're mad at me now, too. Everybody's mad. That's the theory of these power ranks. Tennessee should be one of the top. Well, we had Steven Lazen on the show last week and said this would be the most lopsided game. I was predicting Tennessee to score 60 points. They came pretty close, scored 59 in the opener. But what can you take away from Ball State, particularly first play of the game, interception, second play of the game, touchdown? No chance in hell a team like Ball State was going to recover from that in a just a wild, wild environment there on Rocky Top. So giving Tennessee credit for making those plays, but that's what they should do against Ball State. Beat the hell out of that team. They were still struggling in some short yardage situations. That was a little bit troubling there, I thought. Again, we'll learn a hell of a lot more about Tennessee against Pitt. They get a a win against a ranked team on the road this coming weekend, and they could potentially fly up this charts. Tennessee, number seven. I'm feeling pretty good about that right now. Number six. Now, this one also a lot of people took issue with. Ole Miss Rebels, such a weird team. To be honest with you, if you actually watch that ball game, instead of just looking at the final score, I mean, they were dominant in the first half. And you got to consider these completely new defense, offense, all new skill players, new quarterbacks. I think Ole Miss right now is maybe the most dangerous team in the SEC with the exception of, this is a big one, I understand, but. I don't know how much confidence they have in Jackson Dart or Luke Altmaier. They're they're switching back and forth. Jackson Dart, very inconsistent in the opener. But the running backs, the running game, the tight end, incredible, incredible production from that group. And and the defense was just tenacious, just made their work with Troy. They were up 28-3, and they basically said, okay, let's give a half to Jackson Dart, throw it all over the yard, see what he can do. And there was turnovers, there was bad issues with snaps. Sloppy, sloppy, ugly second half for the Ole Miss Rebels. But when they put the pieces together, I think they could play with damn near anybody in this conference if they find that quarterback. We won't learn a ton about them playing Central Arkansas this week, but maybe Luke Altmaier will give them a spark. It's almost like Tennessee last season. Joe Milton, he's the Jackson Dart. Incredible high ceiling, all this hype. And then you got Hendon Hooker, and Luke Altmaier, who Tennessee fans, oh, they love Hennon Hooker now. They they did not like him a year ago. They thought they he couldn't he can't throw the ball deep. He doesn't have arm strength, is what they said. Joe's are mad, yet they throw him in there and he sparked the entire season. Maybe Luke Altmaier can do that for Ole Miss. We'll start to see this weekend against Central Arkansas. But I think you gotta keep your eye on Ole Miss. I'm feeling good about this team. But again, it's just one game. Maybe they look like crap against Central Arkansas, and we got to drop them all the way down this list. We'll see. Number five. The Arkansas Razorbacks. This is another one. Man, Razorbacks got your back all offseason. You put them fifth in a power rankings. They're jumping off a bandwagon. I got to be honest with you. I didn't think much of Cincinnati. I didn't. I was not impressed. I don't care if they're ranked. They're not going to be ranked after uh, the, the new poll comes out, and they shouldn't be ranked the rest of the year. That's 
That was not a good team. They're small. They had a couple nice players. Their run defense was all right. Their quarterbacks got awful. Just awful. Uh, in Arkansas, when you were clicking, you were having your way with this team. You should have beat the hell out of this team, and we saw it in spurts. You leaned on them in the second half, showed what you got. K.J. Jefferson, a man amongst boys. These receivers stood up. Trey Knox, how incredible was he? Matt Landers was making plays. Jadon Hazelwood was making plays. Rocket Sanders looked like one of the best running backs in the conference against Cincinnati. The defense got a long way to go. We had some injuries. Jalen Catalan, Miles Slusher. Going to have to get that adjusted. But defense has got to come together and quickly because you got South Carolina coming into town. And that's going to tell us a lot about Arkansas. Arkansas, you win big this Saturday. I'm probably going to move you up this list. Number four. All right, there's another stunner. Again, I, I don't think people watch these games. I think they look at the final score and they say, what the hell? Mississippi State. 49-23 Memphis. Memphis has got awful last year, 6-6. Six six. This, this ain't last year's ranking. This is this year. And if you go watch, actually watch this Mississippi State team, it was not a contest. Beat the hell out of Memphis. Five passing touchdowns by Will Rogers to five different receivers. 30-something yards Memphis had in the first half. This was just complete, complete, utter domination till late in the ball game. Mississippi State is everything we hyped them up to be. And we're sounds like it's going to be a very fun game this weekend in Arizona, who had a, a big opening weekend against San Diego State. St. St. Diego. <laughs> I always think of uh, Ron Burgundy when I hear San Diego. But nonetheless, Mississippi State should go on the road, whoop up on Arizona. If they're everything, I'm saying they are number four in the power rankings. They've earned that in my mind. Again, still early. These rankings are very, very fluid. This is not like the damn AP coaches poll where I just keep you up there to keep you. No, you can move down by winning. You can move up by losing. It, it depends on how you look, who you're playing. And that's the case for number three. Next team on the list. Number three. A lot of Gator haters were upset. Florida, this high on the list. But I would say maybe the most impressive Arguably the most impressive win of the season in the SEC. We'll make the case for another team here in just a moment. But, hey, I, I was impressed with Utah. We were talking down to them all, all season, basically. Utah was everything they were cracked up to be, in my opinion. The quarterback was good. Tight, those tight ends were amazing. Uh, their defense was pretty solid. But Florida was better. And they beat them, thanks in large part to the home crowd. But really because of Anthony Richardson and his just incredible, amazing performance in this opener. Florida looks like one hell of a dangerous team. And everybody that thought, uh, hey, I, I'm getting called clickbait SEC skip out here. Maybe uh, a little validation here having Florida number two in the East. It's early. Again, we'll find out if they're for real against Kentucky. But I'm liking their odds if they play like they did last week. Number two. Now, this, may, this also surprised some people. Alabama. You didn't do anything to not be ranked number one. You beat the hell out of Utah State, 55-0. to zero. You're as good as advertised. Maybe the best team in the country, but for my money, not quite number two in the country. Bryce Young, I mean, this was like playing with your food here against Utah State. And this was a Utah State, in all fairness, I thought was, was going to cover the spread. I was hyping up their coach. They were 12-3 and three under him. Now they're 12-4 and four with an emphatic 55-0. to goose egg on their record thanks to uh, the crimson tide but alabama didn't do anything wrong again number two you're number two on this list that means you're the number two team in the country there's nothing wrong with that your all your goals are in front of you number one so of course number one the georgia bulldogs if florida's win over utah is not the most impressive georgia smacking the hell out of oregon that was impressive I don't care who you are, seven consecutive touchdown drives to open the season against a top 15 team, even if Oregon isn't a top 15 team. It was still damn impressive. Georgia looked like a machine. They look like they're in midseason form. And maybe the tiebreaker here for me, this was not a home game for Georgia. It was kind of, it was in Atlanta, but was not played in Athens. And I think significantly tougher competition than what Alabama faced, but looked just as good. So slight, slight edge there to Georgia, in my opinion, number one. 
Georgia's playing Sanford. Okay, so we will learn nothing about them this weekend. Alabama goes to Texas and wins by 50 points. Like I've said, I believe they will. Of course, I may have just ruined my picks for that one, but I have publicly said that before Alabama does that, I'll probably slide them up to number one. I mean, this is probably going to be a season-long back and forth between Alabama and Georgia. But for right now, Georgia, number one. Alabama, number two. If they meet on a neutral field, I'm taking the Bulldogs based on just what I've seen this season, which is only one game for each of them. This podcast is brought to you by FUBU TV. FUBU TV gives you complete coverage of college and pro football, NFL Red Zone, and games also available in 4K at no extra charge. Over 100 channels of live sports and entertainment for just a fraction of the cost of cable TV. You can watch FUBU TV with all your devices. Never miss a game or your favorite show with this cloud-based DVR. records up to 1,000 hours of entertainment for you. The best part, there's no contracts, no commitment, no minimum deal you got to sign up for, and you can cancel the service at any time. So help out the podcast. If you're looking for television service this football season, check out FUBU TV, and you can try it now for free for seven days and get 15% off your first month. Just go to FUBUTV.com and use that promo code SEC. That's F-U-B-O-T-V dot com slash S-E-C. You can find this information in the show notes. But all right, now that we've had fun with that, I can only imagine what's going on in the comment section right now here on YouTube page. But uh, <laughs> let's kick it over to our interview. My buddy Stephen Lassen really dropped some outstanding knowledge on all these non-conference showdowns. All right, we're pleased to once again be joined by my man, Steven Lassen. You know him from Athlon Sports. Give him a follow at Athlon Steven. And don't forget to check out his awesome YouTube channel, All CFB 365. Steven, how's it going, man? Hey, Mike, it's going great. What a great week in the games. I mean, I've just gone every day pretty much. It lived up to the hype of just, you know, nonstop crazy great finishes, awesome uh, plays all over the place. So I'm just glad to have college football back. We had a crazy offseason. Of course, the expansion news had to just hit on Friday, uh, but it was a great week in the games, man. So I'm, I'm excited to, to talk, talk about it. Yeah, that week one, the opening weekend is always special, Stephen. And, you know, uh, we're recording here before the Monday night, Clemson, Georgia Tech. So we, the weekend is technically not even over. We talked uh, or we got to watch LSU Florida State on Sunday. That was a crazy game. We're having you on, Stephen, to once again preview the upcoming games, particularly the non-conference games, so you can give us some insight that uh, on these non-conference matchups. But before we get to that, wanted to get your thoughts on LSU and and hopefully they rebound against old uh, Southern this week. Yeah, I think that's the key for, for LSU is, I mean, it's a short turnaround to play in week two, but it's such a matchup that really should favor them and, and really they should be able to kind of call their shot here. But also I think it's sort of after such an kind of uneven debut. I mean, they had the rough start, kind of figured things out offensively in the you know third and fourth quarter i'm curious to see what kind of the growth from game one to game two and then game two to game three i went into the season kind of thinking that lsu would get better from the first game to the last game and that was one of the reasons to believe that yeah they had all these questions and they had just six returning starters but i think you want to see some progress and see some of those things like the offensive line that struggled in game one is it any better in game two so really it's such a one-sided matchup it's hard to react too much. I don't want to overreact to game one, but I do think that offensive line quarterback run game development is going to be some areas that I'll be watching in, in the, in a one-sided game. Yeah. And I hate to put you on the spot, Steven, I, I should have prepped you for this, but it just kind of came to my mind, but we know from uh, Brian Kelly, when he was at Notre Dame, one of the things they had was strong offensive line play. It seemed like every couple of years, they they've sending guys to the NFL on that offensive line. Can you recall a time where, maybe the, the offensive line struggled out of the gate there at Notre Dame and, and maybe by season's end they got stronger? And, and and if so, does that give you confidence that they can correct these issues at LSU this season? 
Yeah, it's a great question because last year, Notre Dame's offense early in the season struggled. You know, think back, what's weird is they played Florida State in last season's <laughs> uh, season opener. And of course, uh, it didn't go so well for Notre Dame offensively. They were a little bit inconsistent. But by the end of the year, the offensive line got rolling. The running game was going. They were much better in November than they were at the start of the season. So I think again, I think it's really tough because, you know, we, we saw this game. It was so crazy and we want to react to it, but I'm also trying not to overreact because there's all these new changes and just six returning starters. I think LSU will get better by the end of the year. They started a true freshman at left tackle. I think it's going to take some time for this group to get sorted out, but Brian Kelly, like you said, usually has pretty good offensive lines. So I, I, I would buy that LSU figures some of this out by the end of the year. It may not be completely dominant, but I think it'll be better. Mm. And, and another FCS matchup we got week two, uh, Stephen. Sanford playing in Athens. Good luck, Sanford. I mean, this is a pick-your-score type ball game, so there's not much to learn about Georgia in this matchup. But I wanted to ask you this, Stephen. I don't know if you saw my power rankings. I got Georgia number one. And, again, I'm just basing this purely on what we've seen this season. Could you make the case that Georgia is the best team in the country right now? I think you can. I think if you ask me who's going to win the national championship right now, I would pick Alabama just because I think that they end up as the season as the best team in college football. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, it's hard when you watch Georgia just destroy Oregon, who is a top 15 team coming into the season. And in the way that they did it with the, you know, the offense was so explosive. Stetson Bennett was on fire. Uh, McIntosh and Milton looked great. The defense, you know, with all those new faces was coming out from the start and was, you know, all over the field and dominated uh, Bo Nix. It was one of the more impressive showings and in, in performances in week one. So I think Georgia, you know, based upon if you look at how they played, could easily be ranked number one in the country. I mean, Alabama was pretty good, too. They destroyed a pretty good Utah State team, too. But just in terms of opponent strength, I mean, Georgia, I mean, top to bottom, just total domination. Yeah. All right. One final FCS cupcake here, Steve. We got Central Arkansas at Ole Miss. Again, we're not going to learn a ton about Ole Miss, but... What do you think of this? They're they're pulling a Jim Harbaugh down there in Oxford. They're they went with Jackson Dart, of course, in the opener, and he, you know he was inconsistent. Now they're going with Luke Altmyer in game two. What are your thoughts on that strategy? And, and kind of where do you, how do you see this quarterback battle playing out here? You know, I think the first thing is in sort of a weird uh, quirk in Central Arkansas. If you've never seen their field, they have a purple and kind of gray field that they play on so it's sort of like a boise state uh style uh field they play on so if you have to check that out uh central arkansas i think you know what you said about old miss there is is really important i think the quarterback situation is a mystery i mean it came into the season thinking these two were they were they close was it just that no one was taking the job i thought jackson dart was okay on saturday i think certainly i think there's room to play a lot better i think if you're looking for reasons for optimism for old miss zach evans looked great um, the defense, the, the transfers, especially Coleman with the, the five tackles for a loss. Uh, and, of course, Brown from Central Michigan had a great game, too. So good start for the defense. Troy's offense wasn't very good coming into this year. So how much do we read into that? I think at this point we're trying to accumulate uh, data on some of these teams. And I think I'm curious to see about Altmeyer and see how he plays and, and reference that to see what Jackson Dart did. I, I think it's better for Ole Miss if Dart wins the job. There's more upside, but it doesn't seem like he's at least seized that job right now. Mm. All right, Steven, so getting into the actual matchups here, we're going to do the same like we did last week, breaking down these non-conference matchups, starting with kind of, I guess you want to call it the least threatening uh, opponent for the SEC. Who you got uh, as the least threatening this weekend? Yeah, San Jose State taking on Auburn. Uh, you know, of course, this is an interesting spot for Auburn because of the next week's game when they play Penn State, which would be one of the more uh, intriguing games because of where both teams are, Auburn and Penn State. But, man, you know, San Jose State allowed seven sacks to Portland State last week. Portland State's back, or starting quarterback gave them some trouble uh, with the way that he can move around. So I think San Jose State's in a really tough spot. They're probably, if you want to, of guess where they are in the mountain west they came into the season projected somewhere um you know in the the west division probably third about six or seven wins by most people so they're a solid team in the mountain west chevin cordero is their quarterback a transfer from hawaii and they also added some playmakers at receiver so if they can protect 
they have some weapons on the outside, but the problem has been they haven't been running the ball well in recent years. And from a pass protection standpoint, it's clearly an issue. Um, if they had trouble blocking Portland State, I think they're going to have trouble <laughs> uh, blocking Derek Hall and some of those guys from, from Auburn on Saturday. Yeah, Auburn, I mean, they're like the anti-Arkansas with this scheduling. I mean, my goodness, this is two years in a row coming out with two cupcakes, and, and they have these dominating one-score games before facing Penn State. What, what's your thoughts on that, Stephen? I mean, it, do you think that helps you to to get ready for a game like that, to play these cupcake teams, or, or do you think it would be better for Auburn to maybe be a little bit more tested before going into such a, a, a matchup like a Penn State? Man, that's a great debate. I, I think if I was Auburn, especially this year, I want these games because I'm trying to figure out what I have a quarterback. Yeah. And I think with, what they did on Saturday was interesting with Finley and Ashford and using them. And it looks like both are going to play going forward. Ashford, you know, you have to figure you have to figure out the quarterback situation and you have to figure out which one you can trust, especially next week against Penn State. So these matchups allow you to do that. Now, as a fan. Do I like seeing Florida State and LSU play, uh, or would I rather see those one-sided matchups? I'd much rather see a closer game. So I think the fan in me says closer game. If I put the coaching hat on, I, I would want one of these matchups to work uh, my new starters in. Hmm. All right, so, Stephen, sticking on that theme, what's maybe a game that will be a little bit closer than uh, Auburn hosting San Jose State? I'm curious about Appalachian State and Texas A&M. First of all, if you didn't see the App State North Carolina game last week. You have to go back and watch it. I mean, Appalachian State scored 40 points in the fourth quarter and still lost. I mean, that just goes to show you how crazy of a game that was in the fourth quarter and, and really the second half. But, you know, I think what's interesting about this game is, you know, AM gets Miami next week. So you have a little bit of a look ahead spot. But with the way that AM played last week, App State is good enough, especially they were projected as. Uh, the Sun Belt champ by some people this preseason, they at least give you a better test than Sam Houston State. Chase Bryce is their starting quarterback. He's been at Clemson. Uh, he was at Duke. Before, he started at Clemson, went to Duke, and now he's now at App State, one of the better quarterbacks in the Sun Belt. The other thing that stands out to you about this team is when you look at their depth chart, there is a ton of seniors, redshirt seniors, juniors, guys that have played a lot of ball and they've played well against Power 5 teams. I mean, they almost beat North Carolina on Saturday. They beat South Carolina just a few years ago. They pushed uh, Tennessee in, in Knoxville uh, before that. So they're not really afraid of high-profile environments. I think what would worry me if I'm App State was the defense was supposed to be a strength coming into this year and just totally got torched by North Carolina to eight yards of play and, I mean, the offense looked great, but if they can't stop anybody, it's really hard to see them beating Texas A&M on Saturday. Yeah, I caught the very end, like you said, of that Appalachian-North Carolina game back and forth. How were how they able to, to score so many points? I mean, you mentioned the quarterback, Bryce. Is it him? Do they got some elite receivers, some good running backs? What, what exactly is the strength of this Appalachian offense? Part of it was North Carolina's defense is really bad right now. <laughs> yeah. They struggled in the opener against Florida A&M. So some of it was on North Carolina. But I think, on you know, looking at App State's personnel, two great running backs, Cam Peoples and Nate Noel, are both guys who could be 1,000-yard rushers by the end of the season. I mentioned the experience. Offensive line, I think, will start four seniors up front. So this is a really veteran group. And, and to me, that's where it starts. They have that veteran line. They run the ball well. Also, Bryce has played uh, well. I mean, he did not have a good season at Duke in 2020, but he was great last year for App State. He was one of the better quarterbacks coming into the year in the Sun Belt. So I think they have a kind of a well-balanced uh, offense. A lot of it starts because of their ability to run the ball. They have new receivers, but they played well uh, against North Carolina. So I think some of it's sort of 50-50. North Carolina is just really struggling on defense right now, but also App State also has got a pretty good offense too. Any level of concern from you, Stephen, on Haynes King, who, you know, maybe it's not fair, but he's, you know, there's been a ton of hype with him down at College Station. He's only started three games and really only played two because got hurt in Colorado, but three interceptions versus Kent State last week, uh, two against Sam Houston. Maybe it's just Russ, but uh, any level of concern there for you with Haynes King? I think so. I mean, I think, like you said, it, we just don't have a, a a large sample size on his performance yet. 
But what we do have is, you know, a little bit of an interception or at least placing the ball in the kind of worrisome spots. There was a throw, I think that was in the middle of the field. And I sort of like jumped a little, a little bit because I thought it was going to be picked off. So I think I am looking for better, you know, security and better decision-making. And that may just happen as he gets more experience. And Jimbo is, is good at developing quarterbacks. I think he'll figure out the right answer there. The other thing too is you know, A&M just needs to run the ball better. I mean, it's really shocking to see A&M, you know, not have success uh, against an FCS opponent. Bryce Foster not playing probably has something to do with that at center and maybe getting healthy up front. But they can help Haynes King, but I think he can also play a lot better. If he keeps putting the ball in spots like I saw on Saturday, my concern level will go up for sure. All right, Steven, so what's the next uh, matchup you got your eye on as being a, maybe slightly a little bit more competitive than uh, A&M Appalachian? Are you ready for some Pac-12 after dark? Oh yeah! <laughs> how about how about Arizona hosting Mississippi State? It, this has this has just insane, weird late night <laughs> week two kind of vibes going on. Mike Leach playing at you know I think ten o'clock Central with, with Arizona. Ooh. I think Arizona was probably one of the more surprising teams in week one they beat a very good san diego state team uh you know one of the biggest reasons i think they're better this year is the addition of Jaden delora at quarterback and i think that's what makes arizona more dangerous they cycled through you know three or four quarterbacks due to injuries last year jed fish their head coach is more of a pro style quarterback but they brought in delora he's kind of a gunslinger he moves around throws well likes to throw on the run but they added also weapons too. McMillan, one of their freshman receivers, had a good game on Saturday. And Jacob Cowing, who's a UTEP transfer, probably one of the better big play receivers in college football. So I think if if I'm Mississippi State, this or, or just as a fan looking at this game, it's got like high scoring, uh, kind of crazy potential for it. Arizona looks to be much improved this year for sure. Yeah. Well, see, I, now, Stephen, last week we talked about Memphis and their quarterback, who's a freshman All-American was kind of anticipating a little, a little bit more of that last week, but Mississippi State's defense, man, they were playing lights out, uh, I thought, against that Memphis team. Do you think that's, uh, they have the, the ability to slow down this uh, Arizona passing attack under Jed Fish that now all of a sudden, like you said, looks pretty, uh, pretty stout? Yeah, I do. I really like Zach Arnett, the defensive coordinator at Mississippi State. I think he's one of the more – underrated coordinators uh, in the SEC and maybe even college football. We came into the season wondering about their secondary a little bit with some of the losses that they had. So I think this will be a good test. It is, you know, we, I think the theme of this week is always, you know, you don't want to overreact, but you have to react because it's the first game that we saw. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Mississippi State did a great job of keeping Hennigan in check. Memphis doesn't have a number one receiver like what Arizona can bring on Saturday. So that would worry me. But also I think it could happen up front too, because from a you know offensive line standpoint, Arizona's offensive line probably rated closer to the bottom of the Pac-12 coming into this year. Also defensively, there are some question marks there. So I think if you're Mississippi State, you feel optimistic about your ability to run the ball. And if you can get some pressure, especially with Arizona's offensive line questions, I think you feel pretty good about your chances of coming home to and oh. How does Arizona's secondary match up against this Mississippi State receiving core that all of a sudden, I mean, they got, they may not have, you know, an All-American or anything, or maybe not even a first-team All-SEC receiver, but they go six, seven deep with, uh, you know, some real talented weapons that, that do, these players do a lot of multiple things. So uh, they, they fit together really well in this Mike Leach offense. That was another big takeaway I had from the opener. Yeah, for sure. I think one thing we should note on Arizona is San Diego State's offense is not very good from a passing standpoint. They're much more, they run the ball, they play good defense, they play special teams, and they sort of feed off of that. New quarterback this year, I think there's still some growing pains for San Diego State. So I think while Arizona's defense looked good on paper in that opener, I think that we'll find out that that's probably some, there's probably some truth in the fact that San Diego State just is still struggling right now on offense their secondary was probably the strength of this team coming into this year uh, on the defensive side now we say strength their defense gave up 31 points a game last year and they have a new <laughs> defensive coordinator in johnny nansen so i think 
using strength is all relative <laughs> to their defense. Um, I think they're probably a little bit better than they were last year, but I still think if I if I'm Mississippi State, I feel very good about my potential. If I can block up front, there should be some plays to be made against this defense. Hmm. All right, so Stephen, what's the the next matchup you got your eye in? Missouri taking on Kansas State. Uh, I love this Kansas State team. I think they are dangerous in the Big 12 as the season goes on. They added Adrian Martinez, the quarterback from Nebraska, in the transfer portal this offseason. Colin Klein, I don't know if you remember him from a few years ago when he played. Uh, He's now the offensive coordinator at K-State. They have Deuce Vaughn, one of the most exciting players in college football. You know, LSU fans probably remember him uh, from the Texas Bowl this this last year i think that the question for kansas state for me is they they beat you know south dakota in week one they really didn't show too much on offense they didn't need to they talked about using more tempo all off season i'm curious to see if there's some different looks offensively that come out for kansas state it seems like this this is probably one of those games where they show more uh on offense defensively this is a very good kansas state team uh they allowed just right around 21 points or so a game last year they're pretty solid at every level safety was the one concern for this group coming into the year so i think if you're missouri you can maybe get some of those guys in conflict maybe take some chances downfield there might be some opportunities there uh interesting little personnel note is sean robinson of course who's bounced around from tcu to missouri he was a quarterback safety he's now at kansas state he may not play in this game due to injury but he was he may be one of their starting linebackers if he's able to go Man, that guy's played all over the field. I remember, I think he made the first interception of the season last year for Missouri. So that, that is interesting. And like you said, I believe he started at quarterback before Basilek. So it was like, yeah, yeah, he's yeah been he all, has been everywhere. <laughs> yeah, it's, you know, it's also, hey, it's old, old uh, Big 12 uh, North foes getting together. So sort of, uh, you know, reigniting some of those old rivalries, you know, matchups that we've had in the past. It's also a very well-coached team. Chris Kleiman is, is a very good coach and, um, they may not have anything that just wows you. They're just really solid across the board. You got any thoughts on Missouri, Stephen? I think they kind of got lost in the shuffle a little bit with uh, playing on Thursday and there was other games on, but, you know, Brady Cook was very accurate. And of course, Luther Burden was making some big time plays and, and the defense was, man, they were tenacious, forcing turnovers against Louisiana Tech. Any thoughts on Missouri? Yeah, I think it was about as good as a, a showing as you could have asked for from Missouri with some of the new pieces. I mean, Brady Cook with his first um, full start in, in 2022, he started the bowl game. I think he kind of picked up where he left off. I'd like to see a little bit more big playability from the receiving core. Maybe that was just season opener, didn't need to show too much to beat Louisiana Tech. You saw some of the transfers, too, on defense that popped. That, that was a good sign. Louisiana Tech's breaking in a new scheme, so it's hard to know how you know how does Missouri's defense look compared to last year. I think we'll find out more uh, this week against K State. But I, I really liked watching Luther Burden. I mean, man, he is so exciting with the ball in his hands. I think, I think he's one of the more exciting players in in college football already. I hope Missouri can find more ways to getting the ball. Mm. All right, Stephen, what's uh, the next game on your list here? Wake Forest uh, taking on Vanderbilt. I think Wake Forest is you know one of the better teams in the ACC. They won the the ACC Atlantic last year. A little bit different of a team this season because they lost their starting quarterback Sam Hartman. He's out indefinitely. Uh, Mitch Griffiths replaced him as as the starter and, and looked pretty good in the season opener. But this is just his second career start uh, on the road at Vanderbilt. I think if you're looking for you know, reasons for optimism for a young quarterback. You have to look, they have an experienced offensive line, good running backs, but really the strength of that team is the receiving core. A.T. Perry, Taylor Morin, Donovan Green. This might be the ACC's best or second best receiving core. So they've supported the the young quarterback with a good core around him. There are questions about Wake Forest's defense, but as far as protecting your young quarterback and trying to maintain continuity, I think they've done that so far. And also Dave Clawson, one of the better coaches in the ACC, just year over year doing a good job of developing that program and developing, but developing the next wave of, of starters for them. Now, I could be mistaken, Stephen, but didn't Clark Lee, didn't he coach here for uh, Clawson at Wake Forest? Yeah, he did before he went over to Notre Dame uh, to, to coach there and then eventually you know, made his way to Vanderbilt. So like you said, I think there's you know some familiarity with these two programs. I, I think – It'll be interesting to see what Mike Wright does 
against Wake Forest. He's been off to a just red hot start. And for Wake Forest, if there was one question coming into this year, it was their defense. Their defense was not very good last year. They have a new defensive coordinator in Brad Lambert. They're sort of, you know, the, the linebackers are a concern. They got some good pieces up front and in the secondary, but hard to know against VMI how much of their defensive, you know, looks and improvement in that game can be maintained once they start playing power five opponents. So that's something that I'm watching. But if I'm a Vanderbilt fan, I'm looking forward to giving Mike Wright some chances against this defense. Yeah, and I'm not trying to throw cold water on Vanderbilt's two at all start because, hey, we, we need to recognize and praise them because they haven't had a lot to to get excited about, obviously, but their defense was pretty bad against Elon. They kind of got shredded. So if Vanderbilt plays well on offense in this game, do you think there's, there's a high probability that we'll have a, a really fun shootout back and forth style game? Absolutely. Yeah, I think Wake Forest is going to score some points. And I think, like, like you said, I think there's – there were some good things that you saw from Vanderbilt's defense in the season opener against Hawaii after Hawaii went down and scored last week, not so much against Elon. You know, I, it's so hard to read because you also have to the long trip coming over from Hawaii. How much of a sort of a lethargic showing do you have early, you know, in that game? So I think Vanderbilt still has a lot to prove on defense, but to your point with the firepower that Wake Forest has and with what Mike Wright has been able to do so far, I think there's a chance that this is probably kind of a fun back and forth game. I think this is Vanderbilt's trying to go three and zero for the first time since 1990 or since was it 2017. So I mean, th- to get the, they could get this one, could hit the over for some people on that win total too. <laughs> yeah. All right, Steve. We only got two non-conference games left. What's uh, next on your docket here? I think Alabama versus Texas. Ooh. Now, there's a lot of intrigue just for me in just this matchup because you have Alabama, of course, number one, going on the road to play Texas. You have Sarkeesian versus Nick Saban. You also have Quinn Ewers now, the quarterback of of Texas. But, you know, I, I keep going back and I try to get myself like – You're on the hype about... train. You are on the hype train here <laughs> right. for the Longhorns. <laughs> I try to get excited about, man, this is going to be a close game and <sighs> we're going to have, we're gonna have a, you know, a back-and-forth game. But one thing I keep coming back to with Texas is they're just they're not ready yet along the line of scrimmage and on defense, I think, to win a game like this. I mean, we saw what happened last year. They went to Fayetteville and got beat up against Arkansas, and they gave up over 200 rushing yards a game in Big 12 play and struggled to stop um, Big 12 offenses. Now you get a chance at Bryce Young and you know all these weapons and all these new weapons and young weapons that Bryce Young seems to have. If you can't stop the run and you can't protect against Will Anderson – it's going to be really hard for Texas to hang around in this game. But I think as we look down the road, I am curious to see how Texas measures up just because they got handled by Arkansas last year. They're coming to the SEC at some point. So this will be a good measuring stick game. Uh, Steve Sarkeesian uh, on Monday, by the way, said his goal of the season was to get to the Big 12 championship game. He sort of, you know, it was kind of it's paraphrasing saying oh, it was a nice. He's conceding already. He's conceding right. already. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was like oh, you know, instead of sort of paraphrasing, he's like, oh, it's a great opportunity, but you know, our goal is the Big Twelve championship game. And right then, my my you know, light started to, to blink that uh oh, this this is not good news for for Texas. <laughs> so what are the odds? I mean, I know it's completely different teams and everything like that, but a couple of years ago, LSU went into Austin, and man, was that a a, a firework type game back and forth. Of course, Joe Burrow made the big play there to win it. What are the odds we get something similar like that in, in this showdown? That's a great question. You know, I, I think, first of all, my concern for Texas is can they actually block Will Anderson, Dallas Turner, and the other guys from Alabama's front? And, of course, it's going to be, you know, steaming hot on Saturdays. So we'll see what happens with the, uh, the, the conditioning of Alabama's defense, which I'm sure is top-notch. But I think I am I'm curious about Texas because they played Louisiana Monroe in week one. We really didn't get much of an idea of what Quinn Ewers could do. He was just solid. They didn't really throw downfield a whole lot. They lost one of their receivers in fall practice in Isaiah Nayer. So they they lost one of their weapons they were counting on. Xavier Worthy is one of the nation's best receivers. And of course they have Bijan Robinson. I just I keep going back to this matchup as seeing a quarterback making his second start against uh, Nick Saban's defense and an, an offensive line that could start two true freshmen and a defense that's got question marks too along the line of scrimmage. As much as I want to talk myself into a close game, <laughs> when the spread's 20 points, it's hard to see the Longhorns keeping this one competitive. Well, Stephen, that means we only got one game left, and so I know what it is, and 
for the life of me, maybe this is just a vol in me, but I'm seeing all these Tennessee people, they're already claiming victory over Pitt while you got Pat Narduzzi out here. Uh, you know, he's rallying the troops, if you haven't seen it, calling out uh, the fact that Pitt's an underdog, even though they won the ACC. What type of fight is Tennessee in for here on the road at Pitt this weekend? This is going to be a fun game. This is one of those games this weekend that I'm really looking forward to just because of the scenario that you mentioned. I think the first thing that I go to is I think back to last year and last year's game, and I look at where those two teams are now. This Pitt team is not as good as that last year's uh, Pitt team. I mean, they had Kenny Pickett. They had Jordan Addison. You know, Addison's over at USC. Pickett's in the NFL. They're still a solid team, though. There's still a chance that this team wins the ACC Coastal um, largely because there's really not a whole lot of great teams in the Coastal this year, but they're still very good along the line of scrimmage. And I think that's the one thing that concerns me if I'm Tennessee. The pass rush for Pitt was very active against West Virginia last week. Um, they didn't run the ball as well as I thought they would, but they have five offensive line starters back. So I think if you're Tennessee, if you can hold up in the trenches, I think considering last year that Pitt gave up, I think, 14 plays, of 40 plus yards and the way that Narduzzi likes to play defense with man coverage. If Hendon Hooker has time to throw those receivers for Tennessee, I think can make plays downfield. So I'm, I'm looking forward to the matchup in the trenches. I think Pitt needs to be able to run the ball and will, and to be able to run the ball and kind of control the clock. Keep an eye on Keaton Slovis. He's the USC transfer at quarterback too. He had a nice game in, in week one against West Virginia, but I also thought he missed some throws as well. So I think he's under a little bit of pressure to play better in week two. And if I'm not mistaken, Stephen, hasn't Heupel and Narduzzi, haven't they faced off like three times as head coaches? And uh, do you have any idea of the record there? Obviously Pitt won last year, but has Heupel done a good job against Narduzzi? I think, yeah, I think it's, uh, was it, is it maybe two and one? I, for, I forget that. I forget it's two, two, it's two and one in favor of, of one of them. I actually looked at this earlier today. And uh, Heupel's offense has scored at least 34 points every time against mm -hmm. Narduzzi. But actually what's interesting is 7.2 yards per play the first time they played at UCF, it was down to 5.6 and 5.7. So it has gone down in terms of productivity the last couple of years since that first meeting. But I still think you know, when you look at Pitt, if, if you can protect against this defensive line, which is one of the better defensive lines probably in college football, they may be missing one of their ends. They still have another, you know, another backup who played pretty well against West Virginia. That's really the one thing that worries me. I, I like Tennessee to get the win here. Uh, I'm not trying to add to the volunteers. Oh, right here, but yeah. I, think they, I think they get the victory on Saturday. <laughs> and I, one other uh, final question I have on Pitt, Stephen. I've been told they don't have much of a home field advantage. Like, I, there's a lot of tickets for sale, to my knowledge. There's a lot of Tennessee people going up there. And, and I believe uh, – was was last week's game at West Virginia? I don't know, but it was at Pitt. It, behind, was yeah, it, was yeah. it was because that crowd was pretty good. Do, do you anticipate what's Pitt's home field like? I can I don't even know. It's a great question. I, I think for I mean, like you said, it it can vary depending on opponent. You know, they've had some full stadiums, like, like when West Virginia comes around. West Virginia, of course, brought a ton of fans uh, right. to that game. But yeah, I think if I mean, it wouldn't shock me if Tennessee. I think will have a good showing up in in Pittsburgh. I. I would be very surprised if it's like totally sold out 70,000 uh, Panthers fans on Saturday. Yeah. Cause Narduzzi said we were, the fans were underdogs last week. So what was there more West Virginia people? Cause I know that it's been a long time since those two have played each one another. Yeah. It looked like it on, on TV. There was a lot of West Virginia fans that were there. I That's mean, terrible. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, Narduzzi, he's, he's had quite the off season. I, I don't know if you caught this, but you know, he criticized Mark Whipple his former offensive coordinator because they didn't run the ball enough. I, I mean, I mean, they like they won the ACC last year and he's complaining they even didn't run the ball. Well, you, you had Kenny Pickett and Jordan Addison, man. Their quarterback was up for the Heisman, wasn't he? Right. Yeah. And he was the first round pick of the Steelers. So, I mean, hey, ride, ride your strengths. And he's worried about running the ball into like brick walls to get three yards, I guess. I don't know. All right. So we got two more games, Stephen. These are, of course, conference games, though. Uh, and I'm, We'll just go in this order. I mean, heck, I think both these games are fantastic. You can make the case for either. But let's start with South Carolina at Arkansas. Uh, Arkansas, I believe, is an eight-point favorite. At least that was at the opening. Uh, let's start with South Carolina. What did, what did you learn from them against Georgia State? 
I think the good news is special teams, Beamer ball uh, was active, obviously, with the two block punts return for a touchdown. I think, other, you know, there's a lot still to work on um, line of scrimmage. I think, you know, Spencer Rattler can certainly continue to play better. First game of the season, how much were they showing? Do they still have some more that they can unveil this week when they play Arkansas? I think I'll be really curious to see what that offense looks like. I thought maybe it would be more big playability in game one. And we really didn't see a whole lot of that. I still think line of scrimmage is really the biggest concern for me when it comes to South Carolina. Um, you know, Spencer Rattler sacked a couple times. Georgia State popped a couple big plays on the ground. That's where I will be curious to see on Saturday how they hold up against Arkansas because the one thing that popped for me watching Arkansas was, number one, I mean, the offensive line was moving people, and you got, you got to try and tackle K.J. Jefferson for four quarters. And then defensively, we saw guys like Hampton and you know Jackson and some of the transfers for Arkansas showed up in clutch spots. So I think for, for South Carolina, really line of scrimmage, and I want to see Spencer Rattler take a step forward in his second start for South Carolina. How big of a red flag is it, though, Stephen, that South Carolina, all five offensive linemen back, the offensive line coach back, the offensive coordinator back, and they were pretty bad last year, too. But I I was buying into, well, year two, all the same pieces. We've upgraded all around them. Yet, I know it's just one game, but it was kind of the same old, same old. Like you're saying, Spencer Rattler was running for his life a lot of the times. He was still making some big-time plays. I thought Marshall and Lloyd, who we not really seen healthy in his career, you know, it was kind of brief, but he looked spectacular to me. But there was there was no holes for him. He was having to jump over people and 360 people. And, I mean, he was getting it done. But, hell, he, he'd be a hell of a back if he had an offensive line that could block for him. So how much of a – obviously you hit on it, but uh, is that a major red flag with the South Carolina team to you? I think it is. I mean, I think they had 2.5 yards per carry against Georgia State. That's a team that – I know Georgia State has a lot of experience on defense, and, and they may end up being one of the better defenses in the Sun Belt this year. But you know, think of for South Carolina, year two of the same offensive coordinator, line coach, and you have a lot of pieces back. Like you would expect some growth there uh, from year one to year two. To me, like it, even if you can't run the ball, if you're just averaging three yards per carry, if you can at least pass protect and give Spencer Rattler clean pockets to throw from, like you can work with that. But if you can't pass protect and you can't run block, I mean. Your, your offense is going to be pretty limited. So that's I want to see going forward where this offense goes because that was the one thing coming into the season that was a major concern was the line of scrimmage offensively and defensively. It's hard to pick them to finish any higher than, you know, to finish ahead of Kentucky or Tennessee or Florida because of that. And I think we're seeing that so far this year, unless it makes a big jump from game one to game two. Yeah, and then Arkansas, you know, they're trying kind of a, a new – style of defense a little bit playing a little bit more man-to-man and i thought you know honestly steven i thought cincinnati's receivers got the better of them but the quarterback just was unable you know that quarterback he was okay but he left a lot to be desired in my opinion if he was a better quarterback i think cincinnati may have won that ball game and now it looks like jalen catalan miles slusher arkansas's two best defensive backs in my opinion they're not technically out but there's been no update they both got injured in the opener, uh, how big of a, a red flag is that for Arkansas? Yeah, I, I think it is a concern. I, I thought you were going there. They were going with the no defensive backs defense at first <laughs> with all the guys that they had hurt. I mean, man, they just kept losing guys on Saturday. And I mean, I think it, it we'll, we'll see this week how it fares. I, I think the one positive if you're Arkansas is there were some good things going on along the line of scrimmage, and we'll see if that continues from game one to game two. Cannot lose Catalan for a, a long portion of the season, man. He's so valuable. Um, to that defense. He's one of the best defensive players in the SEC. But I think broadly, you're, you were right. I mean, that was the, when I was watching Cincinnati and Arkansas on Saturday, I was like, man, if, if Ben Bryant can just hit on a couple of these throws, you know, Cincinnati, all of a sudden, I mean, Arkansas won, but man, you wonder like how much closer would it have been in the fourth quarter, how things could have changed. So I think if I'm Arkansas, I need to see that secondary tighten up quite a bit going forward. They have two transfers who will, will probably play a big role there if they can get some guys healthy. I, I always trust Barry Odom to figure things out as the season goes on for sure. Yeah, I, yeah. my point for that game, Stephen, Arkansas won because they got K.J. Jefferson. I mean, he, I mean Rock, sure. Rocket Sanders was great too, but it, he was the, the difference, and that's why, that's why I got him as a Heisman candidate. All right, last game here, Stephen, Kentucky at Florida, SECE showdown, Florida. They didn't shock me necessarily. Hell, I had them winning, but 
They've shocked a lot of people this week. Thoughts on this matchup that, uh, man, this could be a big, big time crossroads games for both these teams, really. Yeah, absolutely. I, I have a lot of interest in seeing Kentucky on Saturday because we saw what Florida could do last week by taking down Utah. And now Kentucky, especially after some of the things we saw in that first game, a little bit of a sluggish start on the offensive line. They've got some injuries at running back. They won't have Chris Rodriguez. I think this is a good spot for Will Levis and, and those receivers, which we saw a lot of good things out of in the first game. There should be some opportunities here because Utah moved the ball through the air and they had some success on the ground too. So I want to see how Kentucky's offensive line holds up. I want to see the freshman receivers and Tavion Robinson uh, go with Will Levis to match up against uh, Florida's defense. And then I think on the other side, man, you know, Florida, the, the matching that same uh, energy and, you know, have, avoiding the letdown after such a huge win in week one is always a challenge. But I think it'll be easier to get up for this game when it's an SEC matchup. And you see how, you know, it, it was so one-sided for so long. Kentucky's been fighting back, and it's been a little bit more even in recent years. So I, I'm interested just to see if, you know, Napier keeps this going. If they get to 2-0 and pull off these two victories and Anthony Richardson keeps playing like he has, I mean, man, I I think I was, you know, probably too low on Florida coming into this year and probably should have had him a lot closer in the top, uh, you know, 15 to 20. Yeah, I mean, in recent seasons, Stephen, these two, you know, it's not a traditional rivalry. Hell, Florida won for like 40-something years in a row, I, I think. But in recent seasons, this has been a heated, heated matchup. And I'm not even just talking the two Kentuckys won. There was, there was about two or three that Kentucky should have won that either they got robbed or Florida made a key play at the end of the game. So, I mean, I think this one is going to go down to the wire. And you kind of reference uh, – you know Utah's ability to run on Florida, particularly late in that ball game. Kentucky, you, you got to figure that's going to be part of the the offensive game plan. But heck, like you noted, Chris Rodriguez out, uh, Juwan McLean banged up, Ramon Jefferson. The other, I mean, Kentucky's running out of running backs here, so I don't even know if they're going to have uh, the capability to to really utilize what we typically think of as a Kentucky offense. And, and it's, it goes back to what you said, Will Levis and these receivers. I, I don't know if you saw this, Stephen, but I talked about uh, Kentucky didn't have one rush for longer than 10 yards in the opener, but they had like eight pass plays of 15 plus. So, I mean, this is like 180 of the Kentucky offense we're, we're used to seeing. You know what? It really is. It, it's kind of shocking to see Kentucky not have a good offensive line because we're just used to seeing that the last couple of years. And, you know, there's there's new pieces. And so I think maybe over the course of the season, this group will be better. But to me, if I'm Kentucky on Saturday, it has to be Will Levis and those receivers are going to have to lead the way because getting Horsey back at left tackle could be good. They've, you know, they mixed up the line a little bit this week. So maybe there's some improvement coming to this group. But if you can't run the ball, I mean, at least you got Levis and those receivers and you add in Levis versus Anthony Richardson. I mean, I think, like you said, it's very even to me. It goes down to the wire. But, man, this has got a lot of potential to be one of the more I think, closer, probably more intriguing games of, of week two, for sure. And how difficult do you think it is, Stephen, for Anthony Richardson to, you know, just play out of his mind like he did against Utah? I'm not saying they'll need him to play to that level to win this game, but they very well could. Do you think he can do this week in or week out, or, or do you think it's natural for a player who, heck, you know, we gotta we got to pump the brakes a little bit. He's only started two games. This will be his third career start. Are we asking too much for him to be uh, Superman out there for the Gators? It's a great question because I don't think that he necessarily needs to be Superman, and I, and I think that's one of the other interesting things about this game is, you know, Kentucky came into the year with the new secondary they came into the year with a new defensive line. Florida ran the ball really well against Utah. I think that you know, Utah's defensive front was one of the better ones in the Pac-12, and they pushed it around, I think, for what, 280-plus um, yards. You saw uh, Johnson, the transfer from Louisiana, ETN, the freshman running back. They have some pretty versatile weapons that they can use. Like They, it, it does, they are probably going to rise and fall with Richardson. If he has a bad game, they probably lose. If he has a good game, they probably win. But it feels like... They're just starting to kind of scratch the surface of what they can deploy on offense. And I was I was following along with Billy Napier's press conference, and he kind of got the, you know, he's trying to keep everything as even keeled, lower expectations as possible. So kind of going with the, there's a lot to clean up after a big win. So I think you can see he's already trying to 
lower pump the brakes, you know, kind of whatever, um, you know, phrase he needs to use. But I think he's definitely trying to get everyone refocused for what's a really important game in the SEC for sure for, for Florida on Saturday. Mm-hmm. Uh, one thing before you go, Stephen, I, w- I wanted to ask you this, I've, and this just kind of came to mind. I really got to do a better job of prepping you, but <laughs> if there's one takeaway, one or two takeaways here from the first week of the season in the SEC, maybe maybe a team a lot better than you than you thought, or maybe a team not as good as you as you were projecting in the preseason. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? It's a great question because um, I. I was not really sure about the SEC West coming into this year because everybody like from LSU, Ole Miss, Mississippi State, all those teams seem really clustered together. I may have greater concerns about LSU after game one. I think maybe the the learning curve is going to be a little steeper than I had imagined. I left being a lot more optimistic about Arkansas. I think I already liked him as, you know, somewhere in top 15 to 20. I think maybe we need to bump that up a little bit on the expectations. I mean, if they find some playmakers around Jefferson at receiver and get that big play passing game going that we saw last year with Burks, you know, all of a sudden, you know, I think you know, I think you may have picked them second in the West. I had them third. Maybe maybe I would flip A and M in in Arkansas. So I think I was I'd be a little bit more concerned about LSU, a little bit more optimistic about Arkansas. I think maybe South Carolina and Kentucky are the two teams I'm waiting to kind of see to figure out where exactly they are. Mm -hmm. All right, Stephen, again, I can't thank you enough for for joining us and dropping all this outstanding knowledge. Before you go, can you tell the audience best place to find all your tremendous work? Absolutely. At Aflon Stephen on Twitter. You can check me out at AflonSports.com. Check out the Cover 2 podcast. We, We do that once a week. We preview things. We do a Twitter space every Monday talking about uh, a recap in the weekend and looking ahead. You can also follow me at all, at all CFB365 on YouTube, uh, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, too, if you want to check us out there, too. All right, so, hey, that's going to do it for this episode of the show. I appreciate each and every one of you for dropping by. I appreciate each and every one of you for dropping by. Cousin Shane will be back on the next episode. Don't fear. It's not going to be me here sh- sitting here spieling. And I'm already reaching out to guests to preview some of the big matchups we got this weekend so a fun fun slate of shows stay tuned we really do appreciate each and every one of you continuing to check us out record number of downloads listens views on youtube and all that we truly do appreciate each and every one of you and if you made it this far as always give us that five star written review on the apple podcast app spotify or subscribe on YouTube, and we'll send you a beer koozie free of charge just for doing that if you reach out to us at that secpodcast at gmail.com. But that's going to do it. We'll catch you on the next one.